Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Clean Air and our special mini-series on Canfield's new global network of Chief Ergonomic Officers. My name is Dusty Rhodes. Joining us today is a man who has done a considerable amount of work with bioaerosols. He recently released a very detailed report with some fascinating insights on how fungal spores in particular have had a significant effect on the public. Currently, he is with the School of Chemical Sciences at Dublin City University, and his previous experience includes universities in the USA as well as in Ireland. I know this is going to be a very surprising interview, which will throw quite a few things that will make you think, so let's get straight into it. And welcome, Dr. David O'Connor. How are you, David? Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. Tell me, you have a particular interest in bioaerosols. Can you explain to me what a bioaerosol is? I suppose I kind of break them down into things like uh, pollen, fungus spores and bacteria and viruses. Of course, people really after the pandemic, we just had, they understand that, you know, viruses can have a massive effect on us. And of course, everyone understands that uh, bacteria is also very, very important. You won't want to be breathing too much bacteria in or, you know, interacting with too much bacteria as well. Uh, but people kind of forget about fungus spores and pollen, which I do quite a lot of work in, because these can have significant effects on people's health, health also. Canfield has a, a CAO Chief Ergonomic Officer campaign on at the moment. And it's kind of like non-scientists, if you like, who want to improve the air quality around them. So kind of in simple terms, how would you say bioaerosols are important to humans? Well, they're important to humans because they can trigger, you know, your immune system. So pollen, for instance, you know, people understand that they can cause hay fever. Well, it's actually the allergen within the pollen that can, you know, trigger those symptoms. So if you breathe in too much pollen, you'll be interacting with too much allergen and you'll have those flu-like symptoms that we understand is associated with hay fever. What people don't understand about pollen, for instance, is that it's not just associated with those summer months. You can get hay fever from January all the way to October. It's actually just different pollen species that are causing that hay fever, for instance. But then, you know, also, if you have an underlying illness, something like asthma, for instance, these bioaerosols or pollen, which I'm talking about at the moment, they can trigger that asthma attack. Actually, fungus spores can do the very same thing, which people don't really kind of understand about fungus spores. They are actually also an allergen and people don't even realize you can be allergic to, you know, fungus spores floating around there. You know, they also have more other health implications. You know, they can be toxic, you know, if you breathe in too much of it. People probably would have heard of you know, black mold, for instance, you know, you definitely should be breathing that awful black mold that's growing on your wall. You know, so if you're breathing too much of that, that's not just causing an, an allergic reaction. That's also that's causing a toxic reaction within your body. So, you know, these particles effectively, if you breathe them in, they can cause these health related symptoms that I've just talked about there for a second. They must be absolutely tiny. Is How do you measure these spores? Well, in kind of atmospheric chemistry or atmospheric physics, you know, they kind of break down particles by their size. And the reason they do that is because, well, the smaller the particle, the deeper they can actually get into your lung. Uh, fungal spores, you know, they tend to be between maybe 2.5 and maybe 30 micron, but on generally on the smaller side. So they're of the size that when you breathe them in, they can get deep down into your alveoli, you know, and cause a lot of damage. Pollen tends to be quite a bit, a bit larger, okay, generally larger than 30 microns. So... They tend to be only like, last in the atmosphere maybe for a day or two, while fungus spores can last for up to a couple of weeks. Wow. And uh, you say the pollen spores are kind of not quite as bad, whereas the fungal ones can be worse. What kind of uh, symptoms can they cause in the body? 
Well, you know, the, it's unusual, I suppose, but like they even have some conditions named after them, you know, aspergillosis. Okay, you mightn't have heard that, but you know, if you're a respiratory specialist in the medical field, you, you know, you probably be dealing with people who have this um, uh, chronic disease and it's effectively caused by aspergillus, which is a fungal spore. And there's a lot of research to show that like these things can cause a lot of damage to people's, you know, respiratory system. There's been a lot of more, more recent studies to show that Aspergillus is actually becoming more and more resistant to our treatments. So they're saying that, you know, between 88 and 100 percent of people who get, you know, breathing too many of these fungus spores could die from it. OK, so that's uh, not, not good news. You know, and that's the same stuff that you could. Well, depending on what strain you have, of course, that could be within your um, your composting bin. That sounds very dramatic. And I take it that that's a very small percentage of what you're talking about. Yeah, it's an absolutely tiny uh, percentage of it. But like, I suppose the reason I even bring it up is that, you know, people kind of, they don't really know that fungus spores are and can be a problem. Fungus spore infections cause more deaths than malaria every year, for instance. Again, they just like I said with uh, pollen, they can cause uh, massive issues with people with asthma. Okay, so these are things that we should, we should know about them. and We should know how to mitigate their potential to affect us. As you say, you know, kind of a small percentage of people could possibly die. And that that's, you know, worst case scenario, obviously. But I'm interested about the day to day effect of if people are uh, getting these bad things into their lungs, how does it affect their day to day health? Well, yeah, so that's kind of more of a, um, a well-being effect. And I mean, one of the reasons why I'm still working in this area is, you know, my wife actually suffers from hay fever. And, you know, it doesn't stop her from doing her job. and It doesn't stop her from doing her day-to-day things. But she's miserable when she's suffering from hay fever. So, you know, about, you know, between 24 and 30% of Irish people suffer from allergy. Okay. So that's a significant amount of people that are, you know, walking around during the pollen or fungus spore season being miserable. Okay. Not being at their best, feeling under the weather. And... Unlike a lot of countries, you know, around Europe and around the world, you know, Ireland doesn't really understand, you know, the concentrations and the types of pollen and fungus spore that are just floating around in our atmosphere. You sound very much like it would be a dream to be like other countries. So what is going on in other countries who do monitor this that you admire? I was lucky enough, actually, uh, during or just when I just finished my PhD, I got to work with Meteo Swiss in Switzerland, that's their sweet med office. Uh, and they are top of the line when it comes to um, these bioaerosol networks. The old method was, you know, sucking in those particles, bringing it back to the lab, counting them on, on, like, under the microscope. But they actually now have an automated network where with numerous real-time monitors that can actually monitor the pollen season in fantastic uh, resolution. So we're talking, they can do it. They can give you hourly concentrations of the pollen species in, I, I can't remember off the top of my head how many sites they have at the moment. I think it's maybe between 16 to 18 sites within their country. So they can give you real-time information on the different pollen concentrations and species in their country. That's absolutely fantastic then when you want to go and forecast into the future days what the concentrations or what species will be present in the atmosphere. Because one of the problems I mentioned with the older method is it was very laborious, took loads of time to get the data. Well, this is almost two weeks faster at getting the data to you, okay? And if you have that data the day before, they're able to predict the weather maybe like 
pretty well for tomorrow. Okay. But the further you go into the future, the less good your data is. But if you can have the concentration of the pollen the day before every day, well, then you can predict what's tomorrow. It's going to be to a very high accuracy. So I would love Ireland to follow, you know, the route that they've gone down to have a fully uh, automatic and real-time monitoring network, which would provide us with the information we need about these particles, which we could then use to forecast these particles into the future. So tell me then, why is a forecast important? Well, just like if you want to have a forecast for, for the weather, for instance, you know, if you know it's going to be raining tomorrow, you can bring an umbrella, you can wear a coat. If you know there's going to be a high concentration of a pollen species that causes you to have symptoms tomorrow, well, there's some ways you can mitigate that. Okay, you can take your antihistamine, you can but you can take it the night before. Okay, that'll probably give you even a better night's sleep because they make you groggy, and that's kind of why you probably won't don't want to take it just in the morning when you're when you know that there's going to be high levels of pollen or when you've already interacted with high levels of pollen. Because, you know, yes, the antihistamine will stop those hay fever symptoms, but you'll be groggy and you won't feel at peak health or, again, your well-being will be affected. Another thing, okay, you say, well, you can get around that. I can just take an antihistamine every day. Well, maybe you don't have to take an antihistamine every day. If you know the forecast, you can be specific for when you take that antihistamine. And again, if you know when there's going to be high levels of pollen or a specific pollen that affects you, maybe you could, you know, mitigate your interaction with it. Okay, maybe you don't go for a run during the middle of the day, even though it's a lovely day because there's going to be a high pollen count and you know it's going to cause you a problem. Maybe you do it in the afternoon or evening time instead. So, you know, there's three reasons why there I've just outlined why a forecast would be of use to us. David, a lot of what we're talking about is very important for outdoor air quality. Is is any of this relevant to indoor environments? It is. I mean, okay, pollen, it's more of a problem outdoors, but pollen can get indoors as well. Okay, we can drag it in ourselves, you know, it can land on our clothes and we can be, it can be re-aerosolized around your house. And then, you know, you're still interacting with it and interacting with the allergen, like we, we previously talked about, which actually causes all of those symptoms. So pollen does affect indoors, but probably not to the same extent as fungus spores. Because the thing about fungus spores is, you know, they love kind of nice, warm, humid conditions to grow in. So you want to keep that humidity not at zero, you know, within your house, but you want to keep it low. You don't want to have it um, too high because, you know, all you're doing is you're providing the perfect environment for a fungus spore to grow. And, you know, they're everywhere. They're floating around. And if it can land on a wall or and you uh, within your apartment or your house, it'll grow if the temperatures are nice and warm, which are indoors tend to be, and the humidities are uh, high enough, there's plenty of water to grow. So you'll see... And it's true, you know, if you are washing your clothes, um, some people just put it on the clothes horse in the middle of their kitchen or their utility room. Okay, and what's that doing? Well, okay, it's evaporating the water, but the water is not going anywhere. It's going out into into your house and raising the humidity and raising the ability for fungus spores to be able to grow within your house. So what you should really do is, if you can, use a dryer. I know it's expensive, particularly with regards to, you know, how much energy costs now. I totally understand. But you have to weigh up whether you want your house to be a perfect breeding ground for fungus spores or whether you want to make sure that, you know, it's safe from that potential um, bioaerosol. You mentioned earlier that you were able to shoot lasers and measure pollen and, and, and fungi and all kinds of things. How do we monitor bioaerosols to see if it is a problem in our indoor spaces? 
Well, you can use the same type of instrumentation. I mean, while most of my work has focused on outdoors, you know, these instruments can be placed indoors as well, and they'll give you very similar information. In fact, I've done a bit of work in in hospitals, for instance, where, you know, we've placed those instruments there to understand what the concentration of bioaerosols are or the kind of diurnal trends that you can see. Of course, that makes a lot of sense. You know, those people are going to have uh, a compromised immune system because they're either sick or they're getting better. And, you know, I suppose one thing that we always hear is, you know, we hear of people catching infections and things within hospitals. So they're actually, they've gone to the hospital to try and get better. Fortunately, there is a contaminant in the hospital there already and they catch it. Uh, I remember I did work previously on a maternity ward, okay, and it, it kept failing the uh, sampling protocols with that, that they had in place at the time. And they brought the instrument that I would have used during my PhD in there to try and understand what was causing it. And what they had done is they just actually placed a sink where the surgeons would wash their hands too close to the actual operating theatre itself. So when they went to wash their hands, any bacteria or anything that were, or a fungus spore that was there was just getting aerosolized up into the atmosphere and would flow into the uh, into operating theatre. And that meant it took a lot longer for the place to get decontaminated. And it just meant that, that there was a, uh, an increased downtime in that uh, operating theatre, for, for instance. So it's really important to look around you and just to think of, you know, kind of just logical little things that you should watch out for. That's a great example of the hand sink uh, being a little bit too close to the operating room. What advice would you give to somebody listening who's responsible for the air in their workplace? What kind of things just in general should they watch out for? Well, they should look out for, I suppose, sources of aerosol is a big one. Okay, I'll again talk about bioaerosols, but I mean, uh, there's a big push on for um, composting. Okay, for instance, there's composting bins. Those bins should be sealed. They shouldn't just be open to the air or initially, uh, and because they can be a huge source of bioaerosols. You know, bacteria, fungus spores, they'll grow on any food stuffs that you put into those composting bins. And if they're not changed regularly, they'll grow and they'll grow and they'll get to the stage where they can sporulate or send out their spores. And it'll become an unwanted source of bioaerosols within your facility. Again, coming back to my point about your own home, you don't want the humidity to be too, to be too high within your workspace. Okay, so you have to understand what could be causing it to become very, very high. The reason for that, well, if it has, you're at room temperatures and you have humidity is around 50, 60, 70%, perfect conditions for fungal spores to grow. And you're, so you're not going to be able to stop all fungal spores getting into your facility Okay, they are going to flow in from the outdoors. You're going, people are going to carry them in on their clothes and then they get really aerosolized. But it's about not giving them the chance to potentially grow and to become a source of bioaerosols. Then that's also the same thing for just aerosols in general. I mean, breathing in high concentrations of any particles isn't good for you. Particularly, again, getting back to what I said previously, particularly if they're very, very small. If they're very, very small, they can get deeper into your lungs. They can physically damage your lungs. And actually, if they're small enough, they can actually get into your bloodstream and cause a whole host of different um, problems that way. You know, you've probably heard of air pollution causing things like dementia and things like that. And that's because those particles were so small, they were able to get into the bloodstream and actually all up into the brain to cause problems like that. Um, what we can do to monitor them is, you know, you can use very similar instruments that I've used for bioaerosols. There are 
you know, laser kind of uh, based instruments, which can actually literally count the number of particles that are within your environment. You know, if you have very high concentrations, you might want to think about uh, mitigating uh, high levels of particles in your environment. So it will be fair to say that these bioaerosols are everywhere in the air um, and the trick is to try and reduce that as much as possible and people in the area will just end up being healthier and happier and more productive. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think um, asthmatics in general, I think they miss around 12 days a year um, due to ill health. Their symptoms get triggered. They have to go to their GP or go to the emergency room. You know, it's absolutely a massive amount of people actually just have to go straight to the emergency room to seek help. It's then that that become the question was, how can we, you know, help those people have better quality life, better well-being, but also be more productive? You know, no one wants to feel unwell the whole time. You know, so if you can limit those triggers by aerosols or just aerosols or air pollution in general, you know, people will be more productive. People will be happier. Absolutely fascinating. And I think you explained it so very, very well to us. Uh, David Connor, I can't thank you enough for joining us on our podcast today. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for having me. If you would like to find out more about this, just go to chiefergonomicsofficer.com where you can learn more and join the initiative. There's a LinkedIn group as well, which you're welcome to join us on also. Links for both of these are in the show notes, which you'll find in the description area of this podcast on your podcast Do join us next time as we keep you up to date with the latest issues in our Let's Talk Clean Air podcast. To get it automatically, just click the follow button on your player right now. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you for listening.